0: I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Adam Henderson, owner and brewer of Liverpool's Asvex Brewing. Hello.
1: Hello, uh, Nick. Thanks for having me on. That's okay. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good. good. yourself? Not so bad, thank you. Has it been a, a busy day today? Uh, very busy today. Is, uh, Mondays is typically a uh, sales day, so we sent all the orders out. We right. Had a, a mega busy one today
0: cool um so b- before um we dive into this week's episode and uh, d- discuss about um setting up a brewery and all that kind of stuff i'd i'd love it if you could share with our listeners a little bit about yourself how you got involved in the brewing industry and a bit about aspects brewing
1: yeah so uh, I'm, I'm an engineer by trade I, I graduated from strathclyde university in 2011 with a degree in electrical and mechanical engineering uh, I got a job down in England, so I moved down here when I was 22, I think. Mm. And, uh, not not long after that, I started home brewing. Had some had some money, bought some brew, brewing equipment, some started off with the the, the kits, to, the malt extract, like most people do, and uh, very quickly realised that if I wanted to to make anything more exciting or uh, more enjoyable, that I was going to have to move to all grain and uh, like like a lot of people, yeah, you get the bug with home brewing and you start buying all sorts of bits of equipment and start buying more and more hops. And the next thing you know, your freezer's only got hops in it and no food in it. Yeah, it's sort of spiraled out of control really. Um, you know, while I was while I was working down here in England, I, um, I I kept I kept my job and just thought I want I want to see where I can go with with brewing. So I started Cuckoo Brewing. I was in the, a little pub in Long Eaton called to stumble in. They have a brew kit in the back. They let me let me use that in exchange for, for beer. So they would sell the beer through the bar, and in return, I got to use the equipment, which was a big deal. Uh, then escalated from there to a, a bigger brew house. So I was on a one, uh, I think it was a 10, 10 barrel brew house at Black Hole in Burton. I brewed there for probably 6 to 12 months. Uh, so the, the Black ball moved to Little Eaton, I believe and I uh, basically got kicked out at that point because they needed to find a, a new home. So I sat down and looked at, looked at how things were going and realised it was all going well and that I was going to try and do it for real. So set up a, another brewery which uh, I'm, I'm no longer with done that for five years um in parallel with my day job for the most part and uh in 2020 as the pandemic hit, i decided to set up ASVEX. so for for the last two well be three years now with the pandemic yeah uh, I've, I've left my day job i left my day job in 2019 and it's been full-time committed to brewing
0: project. Cool well I mean on the show this week I'd, I'd love to explore the process of setting up a brewery from someone who's been involved in professional brewing for a while now um, I mean I know you said earlier about um, you started as a home brewer but obviously you've got a lot of experience behind you now so um, talk us through the process of setting Aspects Brewing up through each of the stages so first let's talk about the planning involved such as things like how and when you decided to start Aspects how you worked out the financials and put the business plan together and how and why you decided on that name uh, for the brewery? Because it's quite an unusual name, isn't it? Yeah,
1: okay. So uh, I decided to start Aspects uh, in the early phase of the pandemic. Um, When everyone was told to basically go and sit at home, no one really knew what was was going to happen. It was uh, the first time in a long time I was able to sort of, Sit and think about things. Uh, I was always on the go, non-stop. Wake up, go to work, get everything done. Needed to go to work quite often. Come home, do more work, and go to bed. Repeat. Uh, So I was just at home with more time than I'd had in a long time. So I I was able to plan the the whole thing out in quite a lot of detail, really. The financials and business plan wise, it's uh, actually easier than it would have been. if I hadn't done it before, I had accurate numbers for pretty much everything. I knew how much equipment costs, how much flooring costs, chillers cost, I knew how much ingredients cost, I knew how much you can sell stock for, I know rough losses, all that sort of thing. So I was able to basically lay all that out in, in real detail and uh, sort of showed me the picture of what needed to happen.
0: When it came to financing the brewery, have you taken on loans or anything like that? Like just looking at your website and, um, you know, an Instagram of the size of the brewery, it doesn't look like the kind of kit that you might bootstrap, if you know what I mean? You know, I mean, <laughs> off, off your mates, oh, chucking a tenner, mate, you know. it's it, it looks like a really impressive setup. So, like, I'm just, I'm just really curious, like, how you've, you've obviously come out of working um, and being a co-owner of this other brewery, like, to set up a brewery like that. Like, just ha- how do you work that out sort of financially?
1: Yeah, so it's partly my own investment and partly funding from uh, the bank. Uh, to get the bank loan, you have to go to the bank with a proper business plan and yep. a proper forecast. And they will, uh, if you ask them for any sort of real amount of money, they will grill you on what you've what you've presented to them. Yep. So I, I guess as long as you can back up what you're what you're saying and what you've written down and your, your plan, then they'll risk assess you see how much financial risk they're willing to put on you and if you can put enough of your own money in and you can um, secure that against assets of your house or whatever, then then you can, you can get the money. Right. So
0: I guess um, all that experience then has really paid off for you being able to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would,
1: would never have been doing this the first time round. Yep. Uh, the, the amount of money and risk that you take on is eye-watering. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, I'm interested as well. Given that you aren't from Liverpool and you've never lived there, why, why did you choose Liverpool to be a good home for the brewery? And what were some of the challenges involved in not just setting up a brewery in Liverpool, but just like life in a new city?
1: Yeah, so uh, Liverpool. Uh, I was looking everywhere, really. I just it was a case of trying to find the right spot. I didn't really know where that would be. And I saw the building that we're in now, and it just I don't I don't know how to describe it, but it felt like the right spot. Mm. Uh, everything about it felt like it would it would work. Uh, the, the the landlord was comfortable with what I was proposing on doing it doing doing it with the building. There was uh, good links to the city. Uh, there was lots of um, offices and and uh, high end accommodation around us. the new buildings going up all the time so i just there was people people there It just sort of felt like the right spot to do it so judging from the blog post on your brewer's website
0: you you've obviously put a lot of thought into ordering a brew house to to go in that space and deciding on the best fit so i'd love you could if you could just talk us through that like things like what considerations do you need to make when ordering one um including who you decided to purchase it through and and commission it through and and i guess some of the the, the challenges you faced um going through that process and if you're going to do it again what would you do different
1: yeah so this was the 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 step i guess i spent the longest on i spent many 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 hours going through p and ids and drawings and and laying out what i wanted it to be like Mm. Uh, i chose to go through with bespoke brewing solutions uh, who are based in china a lot of equipment now is, is manufactured in china yep. even if you're buying it from the, a uk supplier or a european supplier uh, but um their, their, their entire team is based over there um i, I can't really fault them at all they were e- excellent um I, the, the guys i worked with are uh, english speaking as their first language right so the, the communication barrier there was was minimal for me. They would do all the, the translation of what I was asking for to the factory team. Mm. Uh, they were quick at coming back to me. They accommodated everything I asked for. So uh, there was a, a lot of iterations. There it was a lot of, uh, uh, I can't remember how many how many times the drawings went around in circle, but uh, it, t- it does take time mm. if, you, if you want to go down this path. It's not something that you can't just say, give me the give me a brew house and expect it to be what you want it to be it'll be whatever their standard design is and i'm sure that that's very good i'm sorry so sure that's very good but i wanted a, a lot of uh sort of unique changes to their base level design because i've i had been brewing before and i knew what type of beer i wanted to make and how i wanted to make it mm
0: i guess the the language barrier thing's interesting because as you said about things coming from china um you know i've I've heard some real horror stories of people that have ordered stuff from china that have you know have have just kind of gone into it because it's like oh it's cheaper from china (laughs) you know um and then they've ended up with like um fermenters that have got really sharp edges and all -hmm. the rest of it um so yeah if if you're going to do your Due diligence when looking for to work with um, a firm from whether it's China or elsewhere in the world, you know, not native to your own country. Like, what what sort of things should you consider?
1: Uh, I think one of the things I found was that they they build to the drawing, so whatever the drawing says is what you get, and you have to be very good at checking those drawings, or have to have someone do that on your behalf. I guess as a mechanical
0: engineer, um, you're used to doing those kind of CAD designs. Yeah, I I mean,
1: it felt like I was uh, back at my
0: original job. Yeah, uh, it's paid off well. Paid off well rather than like, here's I mean, beer (laughs) mat with me drawing on. Can you make it like that? Uh, Out of interest, is is there anything you'd have done differently if you were going to do it all over again? Yeah,
1: there's there's there are it's all minor things really. Yeah, uh, some of the features and that I tried to design and don't quite function as I expected them to, and I've already had to, to modify that. Right. But I mean, it's, it's minor and it's all, it's all stuff that's, that's fixable. Yep. And are they modifications you've done in-house or? Yeah, some of them, yes. And some of them, the supplier has actually helped come up with solutions right. for and, and send more parts over, which has been great of them.
0: Amazing. Um, I was really intrigued by uh, this next bit. Um, so I'd love to go into it in detail. But I, th- I think obviously, as I said earlier, before we start recording, a lot of the listeners of the show are involved in the industry somehow. So they'll have a good idea of the three main types of heat processing in a brew house, which is obviously electric heating systems, direct fired gas and pressurized steam jackets. But you've gone for a different option. So I wonder if you could talk us through what that option is, why you chose it and the
1: advantages and disadvantages of it. Yeah, so I've went for thermal fluid, which it's very the the design of the equipment is very similar to what you would have if you had a steam jacket tank. It's essentially a jacketed tank, but instead of pumping steam through the jacket or letting steam condense through the jacket, you push a, a hot fluid through it. an oil, um, something that doesn't boil at one hundred degrees. It boils at several hundred degrees, right. so it stays in the liquid state while you're. Uh, It achieves a temperature hot enough to boil the process while it's still in its liquid state. So you don't have to pressurize the system to be able to heat the tank up to 100 degrees to boil your water, which was uh, an interesting uh, concept for me because it removes a lot of the safety issues that you have with steam boilers. uh, if, you, if you're running a steam boiler you have to have it running at a high enough pressure that you could seriously injure someone so it, there's a whole load of uh, insurance inspections and regulations around that whereas a thermal fluid system you're just pushing water around it's open to atmosphere so it, it, you can't pressurize it as such unless you have a valve failure or something like right. that but but the general system is open to atmosphere. It just, uh, there's a vent on the top of the catch tank that it just is just open, so it doesn't it doesn't pressurise. Mm.
0: So I, I, I'm interested. How long does it take to come up to a, a rolling boil then? From you know from like your um, sort of
1: post mash runoff temperature? Um, well, I, had, I had a little bit of a play around with the, the temperatures of the fluid. And I've got it set now, so that as soon as my runoff's finished into the kettle, it's, it's hitting the boil. Wow! <laughs> the system—the the system only takes like fifteen minutes to heat for itself to heat up. That's amazing. And, uh, my, my hot liquor tanks seven seventy-five heck. Yeah, and it's three hours from from ten degrees ambient, and it's up at eighty degrees. So how, so how long's the, quick. how long's a typical brew day for you? If nothing goes wrong, about six hours, right. maybe six and a half, yep. depending on what, what how long each step is. But yeah, if nothing goes wrong, then it's pretty
0: quick. I love it. It's, if nothing goes wrong, there's always something that goes wrong, i found. Yeah, there's always. <laughs> always. Um, so so um, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of, of, of it? Obviously, you talked about the safety aspect, but are there, are there, are there any other advantages and then maybe some downsides even?
1: yeah another good advantage is that um, you don't have to to do anything with it. Once you've filled it and your system is no longer leaking. Uh, that's it. you just, It runs for several years before you have to replace the oil. Um, with a steam boiler, you have to treat the water, you've got to descale pipes, uh, you've got to inspect have uh, detailed inspections if you ever have any issues, you could you could have corrosion. Uh, if the water hasn't been treated correctly um so it's a sort of set it and forget it solution almost mm. I, I just turn it on when i when i need heat turn it off when i'm finished with it that's it, that's all i do nice. uh, I doubt, my downside is that i don't have steam on site uh, steam is useful for breweries You use it for sanitizing cleaning casks cleaning kegs that sort of thing um mm. uh, but again, steam, steam is dangerous. So um, if you can get by without it, then this is an excellent choice. Yep. I think as, as you get bigger, steam becomes more and more useful. So maybe maybe makes sense for bigger breweries to go for a steam solution. Yep. For a small brewery who wants the, the quick heating times and the the, the lower temperature in contact with the, the process, then thermal fluid is a, is a good option. Mm. I forgot
0: to ask, what size is the brew house?
1: It is 25 head. Right, okay.
0: Do you think we'll see more thermal fluid brew houses coming online in the future?
1: Maybe, but I, th- I, do, I think that the, the draw of having steam in the brew house probably outweighs a lot of these benefits for, for most breweries. Cost-wise, they're pretty similar, really. Right. And well, upfront, I guess cost-wise, they're pretty similar. Ongoing cost, I'd say, would be lower for thermal fluid. Yeah. But so maybe now that the price of gas is, is through the roof, <laughs> uh, technically, and more efficient yep. to run thermal fluid than it is to run steam, so there is an energy cost saving there. Yeah. Is it? I'm just being,
0: I'm curious whether the thermal fluid option again is because of your background in mechanical engineering and and knowing about the different kind of options that are out there to to do heat processing is 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 that something you've drawn upon
1: yeah i mean i worked, worked in the process industry so i am um, I, I, I know about fluids pumping around in circles uh so let's move on to
0: the the physical space and preparing to, it to have a a brew house and a tap room. Um, and any regular listeners to the Hot 4 podcast will know this is a, a topic that's really close to my heart. Um, having worked on a bad one, um, but what, why is a proper brewery floor the best option for brewers out there? And what kind of flooring and drainage would you recommend?
1: I think everyone's worked on on a <laughs> at some point. Works in a brewery, it's just. Well, as you know yourself, it is a nightmare when the floor does not work. It's, it's it's basically a bit of equipment that you use all day, every day. You're always dumping stuff on the floor, and if it doesn't run into the floor, then you're squeegeeing it down there. You're also walking around and putting dirty puddles, yeah, and then that that gets carried around the entire building. Um, if you don't have a proper floor that's that can be cleaned then you you end up with cracking and pitting, which harbors all sorts of nasty bacteria you don't want in there. Because the brewery floor is always wet, it doesn't really dry up if you've got those pits and cracks in there. So it's the uh, ideal environment for those things to grow. Yeah. I'd love to just, just to contextualise
0: this, tell you, tell you about the floor I worked on. So um, mm. the, the the brewery I worked in was... Um, it was in an old Victorian Polish works. Don't get me wrong. It was an absolutely stunning building. Um, you know, it was like timber beams, red brick. I mean, it looked amazing. Um, but it had a a wooden floor. <laughs> I kid you not. And then the, the brew kettle, and it was set over like three levels as well. And the brew kettle sat on this, this metal tray with a really small lip. So I can guarantee... Whenever any liquid came into contact with a tray, it just sort of splashed over. And so mo- most of my time was spent with this wooden floor, trying to get hop debris out of it, trying to get water and, and wort off it. And then in the cellar, there was like a red brick cellar. Uh, again, l- looked fantastic, but totally impractical for doing anything. It was just, it, it was awful. So whenever I go anywhere now and I see some, another brewery's like really nice floor, I'm like, oh my the floor of my dreams people must think i'm weird coveting a floor but there you go
1: yeah I mean, a wooden floor is uh, is mad isn't it <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it was like i say it was it was great people would walk into the tap room where the, the you know cuz it shared the space and people were like wow this is amazing but it was such a ball like really was um I'm just wondering as well, are there any other considerations that a brewer should make when it comes to installing a good quality floor? Perhaps anything that doesn't get talked about often.
1: I'd say re- repairs and maintenance. Uh, it, it's not something that you just put down and then that's it done. Uh, they do break. If you've got um, a resin floor, it will will get damaged. The same if you've got a tile floor, they'll get cracked and damaged and you, you've got to repair that. Um it happens fairly frequently, too. We've already got some damage on our floor. Luckily, it's, uh, it's in an area that we don't actually use at the moment. But, um, yeah, as soon as you start using that, that bit of floor, they'll have to be repaired. Right. And it's not cheap to repair either. It's a, it's a fairly expensive thing to, to have done. I can imagine. Um. um what, what other considerations
0: should a, a brewery business make when it comes to preparing a space for... Um, a commercial brew house and and I guess the tap room maybe we'll come onto that separately because I know that's a whole other side but like um, you know when it comes to like laying out the space everything from like the electrics and, and so on are there any sort of special considerations that went through your mind that maybe you didn't consider first time rounds and if so what are they
1: yeah I spent a lot of time sort of shuffling things around the the, the building itself on my the, on the drawing I drew all the all the tanks, the floor, the cold room, all that sort of stuff, and basically like a big three D jigsaw where I could move them around on, in the model space mm. to get it right. So I think one of the key things that you need to do is make sure all your flow paths are correct. So your goods in, your goods out. How you how are you going to get your grain into your mash tun? How are you going to get it back out again? Where does it go when it comes back out? All that sort of stuff. Some people overlook that a little bit. You'll have the the door to them. The mash tun at the back of the building, which means you've got to get it all the way up there to, to load it and then all the way back out again once you've unloaded it. So, I think things like that. um We touched on the tap room there again. I factored that, that in and wanted to make sure that the tap room area had as little disruption as possible. Yep. Um, used to, I'm used to working with minimal amount of space where the tap room gets cleared out and becomes warehouse space during the week and then everything gets piled on top of itself. Could free up the tap room space and then the tables come back out. But I didn't didn't want that this time around, so I've a dedicated area for for where the tap room tables will be, and everything else works around that. What? So when's when's the plan to get the tap room online? Uh, as soon as I can, really. The the target is springtime, right? Uh, In time for beer X, maybe. Uh, hopefully.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully. Um. Hopefully. Hopefully. Are you planning to? Do an opening or anything um, during that event, because so you're not you're not too far away, are you, from the exhibition
1: centre? Uh, no, no. I think, I think it's actually a Black Lodge again this year, but it's all somewhere close to each other. Yeah, right. Um, so to take us through the the commissioning
0: part. So you've obviously got your brew house in. It's it's all rocked up and hopefully everything's in the right place. Like um, like how how did you go through testing that brew house to to ensure everything worked properly? and, and in particular, I'm interested again this is from experience <laughs> like how you calibrated the brew house to work out your efficiencies so that you can you know calculate recipes etc properly because i know from my experience um with the brewery i worked in there were some markings on the uh, the brew kettle and they weren't accurate <laughs> so it was fine if you were brewing like a four percent beer which most of their beers were but I came in, I'm like, let's brew something that's like five point something, you know, whatever. Then all of a sudden it's like I threw everything out. So I had to go through the process of calibrating the entire thing all over again. And um, it caused a little bit of friction because they they were like, Well, I don't think you're right. It's like, I I am right, <laughs> basically. Um, so like I I just interested on a on a kit your size, like how you go through calibrating all that. And and I guess as well, like how many test brews you you put through it before. You're like, yeah, actually, I know that if I put X amount of malt in, you know, at this mash temperature, et cetera, et cetera, I'm going to get this ABV out and IBUs or whatever. So can can you just talk us through that?
1: Yeah, I've, I've actually used that a kettle and hot liquor tank that's had the wrong markings on it before right. so i know i know that's like <laughs> painful a it, yeah but uh, this time I, i've got flow meters i don't have that uh, right. on the hot cold liquor tank there are markings but there. um i don't really need to know if that's correct or not i just need to know if there's if it's half full or if it's two-thirds full or whatever mm-hmm. Um, everything's on flow meters this time around, so I can accurately measure the volumes of liquid moving from one place to another, yep. which is a massive help, makes this this uh, working things out much, much easier. So um, I'm, I brewed uh, what was essentially going to be somewhere between 4 and 5% or at least I guess 4 to 5% beer to work out my efficiencies. Uh, because it, it it didn't it didn't need to be anything specific. Mm. It didn't matter where it came in in that that range. It just it would tell me what what efficiency I got, and I was able to use that on the subsequent brews to uh, align the ABV. But again, m- moving from a four percent beer to an eight percent beer, there are changes. You get yet more efficiency. So. I just targeted what I thought it would be. I would go from eight to eight point five and whatever it came in is then told me that when I make the beer at that strength, this is what I get when I do this, add this amount of malt at this temperature, this amount of, of liquor. Uh, from from once you've done two or three different variations of amounts of malt, then you can get a pretty good picture of of what you'll get. Yeah targeting specific ABVs Uh, if you if you if you've got uh, a measurement of how much liquor you're moving into the tank uh, I've got a mash mixer as well which means I can mix mix very well Mm. so uh, it all becomes a a lot easier than what I was used to in the past where if you didn't mix it as well then your efficiency is all over the place your temperature is all over the place in the mash tun. so yeah, they yeah. do. do the same thing in terms of the process. Yeah, this brew house, which makes things much easier. The dreaded hot spots. The mash
0: done. Yeah, so I don't really get that anymore. That's which is a, great. You live in the dream, man. Yeah, <laughs> you really are. Um, so, let, you, when you when you come to the commission of the brew house, then um, and 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 sign it all off. Like, where 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 do you go from there? Is it just a case of like all systems go? Let's make beer.
1: Uh, sort of so sort of, commissioning-wise, it was uh, normally you would go over to the manufacturer and do a factory acceptance test. Yeah, with COVID, that w- wasn't possible. So what I did instead is I had a, a video call right, where they, we walked around the equipment and they'd, they'd done a water brew just make sure everything functioned correctly. Right. They didn't didn't make an, a beer on on the equipment. It was all just done with with water. So oh. Uh, Instantly, there's a risk there that something doesn't quite work because you haven't tested it properly. Yeah, I came over here, I reassembled it all, and uh, I I did the water brew again here, made sure everything everything worked. So when I ran it with the malt, uh, that's when you started to see things that I didn't expect. So I always get I got a load of stuck mash problems for the first few brews, and couldn't really figure out what was going on there but uh, Realised that it was to do with my, my pump speed. So I've got a, an open rotor centrifugal pump, which I, I thought would be would be fine for moving my mash across. Mm. But if I run it too high, then it, it uh, destroys the the husk of the malt, and then I get really poor runoff. Right. So uh, things that probably could you probably could have ironed out after the pandemic wasn't going on and you went over and done an actual brew. Hmm.
0: So I presume what would normally happen then? Because, um, I mean, I've, I've got no idea about this kind of thing, but like would, would normally like the brew house be kind of installed in a way that they can do a test brew there and then you test brew on it and then it's like, yeah, I'm having to sign that off and then it gets shipped over.
1: Yeah, I guess it probably be manufacturer to manufacture. Right. But, uh, I would I would expect to do an actual full brew yep. on it just to make sure that everything functions. Mm. But um, some places will just just run it through with with water, or some places will uh, you'll pay for commissioning to happen on your own site, so you wouldn't necessarily run the brew where it was manufactured. They would they would come they would come over help help install it all and then run a commissioned brew on your own
0: site yep I'm curious as well um, and I'm just thinking this question off the fly just because I'm, I'm interested um, I've, I've never brewed on a, a kit with a, a ton before like and um, obviously you refer to the pump where you, you pump in your, your mash into your ton. like do, how, how do you keep that pump clean is it just normal uh, it, CIP, or I mean, because obviously we yeah you, just you, you, it's normal normal right, okay. CIP.
1: The, the one problem I have had with it, that I didn't realise, is if I put rice hulls into the mash tun, they get jammed in the in the the, the rotor of the pump. Yeah. So and it happened a bunch of times. So I have taken the base plate of the motor off several right. times to unclog it, but um, every time I take it off, it's clean apart from the rice hulls that get stuck in there. Right. So again, because from experience,
0: I mean, this this is not um, anything to allowed to turn, but I I did a, um, again, in in the brewery I was in, it was like a, I think it was an an orange pale ale. So I used like dried orange peel, which I stuck in the fermenter. And, um, we were a cast producing brewery. So, um, it all from the, from the, once it finished, um, fermenting, we'd rack it into conditioning tanks and leave it for, several days before racking into casks and um, I'd not put the dried orange peel in any like muslin bags or anything and mm-hmm. it just absolutely decimated our pumps <laughs> to the, you know mm-hmm. and again I was like having to take them apart and like pick all these bits of orange out which was a nightmare so I was, I was just interested just with the um, with the malt and um, what, you know whether that was an issue obviously, obviously it isn't apart from the rice as you've said so just, I guess, moving on from, you know, you, you got your kit and everything. Um, d- just to frame this, all of this preparation work was taking place during the global pandemic and lockdowns and stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I have to, I mean, if there anyone out there listening, like, um, I've really enjoyed reading your blogs, which is where all these questions kind of came from. Because so you go into a lot of detail, which is brilliant. But I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm curious from the back of it, like, why did you decide to press on in the face of such uncertainty? And were there any moments where you thought um, that it had never come to pass?
1: Uh, the, the reason I did it you know, with all the uncertainty is uh, eventually that that, that uncertainty is going to go away. Uh, like we can't stay in, in the pandemic mm. forever. I know it was unknown how long it would last or or, um, or how much things would change afterwards, but. I've, I just I, I knew that I could do it I knew that I could pull it off and I could get it over the line uh, and you, you ask there if, I, if there was ever a moment where I thought that this isn't going this isn't going to happen I wouldn't say that I thought it wasn't going to happen but there were, there were times where I thought when things were, weren't going to plan where I was thinking I don't really know what the next move is here to, to keep this moving forward mm. there, was, there was a lot of that where I had to sort of rethink what what needed what needed to be done uh, there's all sorts of delays which i think um, looking at your questions here there's a the, ne- the next question probably i'll answer answer a lot of that
0: <laughs> cool well I'll, I'll i'll dive into it so like how, how much would you say brexit and leaving the european single market as affected of the brewery and i guess brewers in general and um, what are your predictions for the long-term costs and impacts that this is going to have on craft beer in the UK? It's it's like going from one dystopian nightmare to another, isn't it? Yeah. So I think <laughs> with all things
1: happening, COVID and Brexit at the same time, yeah. that was what made it so difficult. Mm. Um, there was no warehouse space anywhere because all the businesses that were worried about getting their goods out of the UK had taken up warehouse space to store their goods that would normally leave immediately. So there was nothing nothing going. And not only that, the price has gone up because it was so scarce. Uh, It was way higher per square foot than it had been before. And even the ones that you can find, you go to the landlord and tell him you want to cut holes in the floor for drainage and holes in the roof for your (laughs) flue on your boiler. And then they've got someone else who just wants to put boxes in there until they can get them over into Europe. The the warehouse always wins. They're never going to let you a new brewery, do all these modifications when they can get the same money from someone who isn't going to do anything Mm. to their building. So that made it extremely difficult. And um, further down the line, once once they've got the site, getting the equipment over here, the shipping costs were through the roof because of the pandemic and also Brexit with the ports being backed up. That was a a two-and-a-half-month delay from leaving China to arriving in the UK. It got stuck in France and then the Netherlands for six weeks, I think, just because there was no port space to get the boat in, and it cost five times more than it normally would. So lots and lots of problems around that.
0: Yep. And I suppose now you're contending with the, you know, rising costs of uh, raw materials. You know, I mean, I still get emails from various suppliers, all of which are like hey, we're really sorry, but our prices
1: are going up. Yeah, it's good. It, ultimately, it means that the cost of the end products going to go up. Like Energy's up, malt's up, cans are up, kegs are up. Like everything, everything's up. Yeah, Wages have going to go up alongside all that. Mm. So there is no real alternative, I guess. Ultimately, the, the product has to go up. And that's not just unique to beer, that's, that's everything. You know, see it on all sorts of food, drink they're trying to get transport like the cost of logistics right now Uh, yeah so i guess at
0: at long last tell us about your beers (laughs) like what you brew i must confess i haven't um tried any yet um but i mean i've I've seen how they've been received online you know and and people are raving about them um and I, i see that they're going far and wide so Tell me what what kind of beers you're making, how they've been received, and, and, and where you think the brewery will go from here.
1: Yeah, they've been really well received. I'm extremely happy with with how how that's been going. I've done a lot of hoppy beer. Mm. there's well, is always always a winner, isn't it? Everyone loves hoppy yep. beer. Yeah, done done some stouts. and am uh, actually going to brew a lager tomorrow. Oh, nice. Which, is, uh, which will be fun. Any now. particular style of lager or? It's got to be a hella style lager. Oh, awesome! Um, I've been playing. I was playing around with some lager brewing over the lockdown period. Yep, and uh, I think it, uh, I'm comfortable with the equipment now, and I've ironed out all the the real problems that I've been having. So yep. it's finally ready to to be tested on a, a lager. So are you, are you
0: using like d- dried yeast strains, or have you got a house yeast, or what, what's the deal there?
1: Uh, I've got a house yeast. Um, Again, so I played around with a whole load of different things during during lockdown and settled on on the one I've been using.
0: Yep. And um, I presume uh, what about well, with your lager yeast? Again, is that like a, a liquid yeast strain, or are you, you going to go for a dried yeast strain?
1: And I'm probably going to go with a, a dried strain for this this first go. Right. Uh, i was able to make more lager then I would use the wet strain, yep. so I could crop from it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, given that there are just under 2,000 independent breweries in the UK at the moment, um, and there's around 24 operating currently in Merseyside, according to quaffale.org.uk. How much space do you think there is for new breweries to emerge in a country like the UK? Um, And what do you think a brewery needs to stand out and be successful, however you define success? Because I remember when I started... Emmanuel's, which is my very small brewery now it's it's it started at, like in 2014 which i think is the same year northern monk started you know and at, at the time um you know people people's palates maybe weren't as developed i guess um so the, there was a lot more acceptability around what was defined as a quote-unquote good beer or not Whereas now you've got so many amazing breweries making like absolutely fantastic beers, you know that the, the choice and the flavor choice is just endless. Like so, so um, I mean, obviously you've got a lot of experience and a, a lot of um, knowledge and and everything. Um, so I'm I'm sure you you know you'll do really well. But like, um, I, I, what would you say a brewery has to do? maybe in addition to just making really great beer to be able to to stand out amongst all the other breweries that are out there?
1: Yeah, well, my view is that it, it is a tough market. There are a lot of players in the game, but there's always room for for good beer. Right? It's, the, it's tough when you're not making good beer, I guess. Mm. So if you're making good beer, there is, there's always room for it. I think uh, in terms of beyond just making good beer, what else you have to do is uh, it's the, f- the full full picture, isn't it? It's customer service. It's um, um, how you engage with, with people and customers, um, how you work with your suppliers, making sure that you maintain all those good relationships. I think the, the, the full end-to-end of the supply chain, you have, you have to be doing a good job across, across all aspects of that.
0: Hmm. I've got one more question. I'm just interested about your process of making like, you know, really juicy IPAs because as, as I've said, like before um, when I, I was Sheffield Brewery was the company I worked for um, for, for a while, like, you know, we, 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 we made decent cast beer, you know, we, we, we won, we've won awards like national awards at BRX and stuff um, and everything. So, you know, there were decent pints, but when it came to like brewing those kind of like super hazy, juicy IPAs, the, the equipment wasn't geared up for it. So I'm, I'm really trying to push the boat out making super hazy IPAs to, to varying degrees of success. The, the one I've, I've been drinking this evening is really good, but I did a double IPA and it's just, it's just not right. And so I'm just interested, I'd just love to put your brains on like your process of making those kind of, you know, either really juicy IPAs or double IPAs and stuff, um, in, partic- in particular with
1: dry hopping. So, how, how do you go about that? And for me, the key thing for making a particularly hazy IPA is low oxygen. But make sure you're doing everything you can to keep the oxygen out mm. once it's become beer. Yeah. So, once your fermentation is finished no oxygen can get in there or as little as, as humanly possible yep. can get in there because that is what destroys those beers. Uh, I think everyone everyone says it, but I, and I think people overlook just how small an amount can destroy the beer. Right. It's as simple as not purging out your CO2 line before you connect it to your tank. That's enough to to add in several... Hundred parts per billion. Yeah, you, are you talking about in your packaging line, or just just uh, like no, just even you know, on the, like the tank, if you put head pressure on and you haven't purged that line, then you're putting oxygen in the tank. Or if you're plugging, plugging into your carb stone and you haven't purged the line, but right? Mm-hmm. Oxygen in there before the CO2 goes in. All all those just little, little tiny steps. Um, even when you add the dry hop, I always run CO2 through the beer. Yep. So it's coming out of the tank as the hops are going in. Right. Try and any any uh, any oxygen that might get pulled in with the hops So hopefully yep. we get pushed straight back out again.
0: Mm. What about on you? Have you got a canning line there? Or yeah, yeah. yeah or what got. about okay. on you? What you with your canning line? Um,
1: what you doing there to minimise oxygen pickup? Yeah, so I've been getting really good uh, deal readings from our from our canning machine. It's been excellent. Uh, what I find that is if I have higher carbonation, that it's easier to keep the DO down. You, you want that fob, that, fob, that mm. foam to sit on the top of the can. Yep. Uh, if you're not getting a proper foam developing on there, then your DO number is always way higher. Right. So uh, although I'd like to carve some beers a little bit lower, it's hard, uh, it becomes harder to, to keep your DO down. Yep. So it's a bit of a balancing act, really. You can sort of force it a little bit by putting your head pressure up and filling quicker. Mm. But there's a, a, a limit to how, how far you can push that. But yeah, if I have a carbonate in around 2.4 to 2.5 volumes, it foams excellently. And my numbers are picks up next to nothing, really going through the canning okay. machine.
0: Um, so when it comes to canning, um like so let, let's say that you've got a beer in tank what what would you typically have like an IPA in tank at psi wise um with the head pressure are you, are you talking about maybe like um 10 to 15 psi 12 psi or something or
1: during the canon process.
0: Uh, yeah so let, let, let's say it's it's, fin- you, it's finished out you, you've um you've carbonated it and you've got your head pressure set. What would the head pressure generally be at by the time you'd finished carbonating a typical? IPA will say, what would you turn the head pressure up to to then, when you're going into your cannon line? Um,
1: yeah, so I can't, carbonate at about zero degrees. So yeah, whatever that ends up being, whatever volumes you're targeting, so sort of nine, nine, ten psi, and then I'll put the head pressure right up to about eighteen, to ca- and then run run the beer through the cannon machine with eighteen psi head pressure. Right, but that would de- be dependent on your hose length, your hose diameter, all that sort of yep. thing, and your actual kind of machine itself. So it's not necessarily, that might not work for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's the, it's the pressure that I find works well on our machine.
0: Yep. Do, do you find it takes a while to calibrate the, um, with each brew, um or have you kind of dialed that in now? Just because um, again, we I mean my my setup's really small, but it's um I've got a it's called a duo filler. it's like a two-headed can filler. Um and what I found is some some beer some beers are just a nightmare to get into <laughs> can. Some of them have been great. And and to be honest, I mean, I've not got a DO meter, so I can't say with any kind of scientific fact, only from a sensory perspective. Like there, there are some beers that I've, you know, I canned over a year ago, where people are still drinking them and they, they taste fine. You know, like that. You know, there's the, there's no, even to me, I'm like, there's no discernible. Oh, I can tell that's stale. So, I think for what it is, it's a decent piece of kit, but it's just what I find is I just find it really hit and miss with the beers I'm trying to can because of the the. Just trying to dial that carbonation level in, and when when you're doing it on like 117 liters, you know if you lose 10 liters, that's a lot of beer, you
1: know. Yeah. Um, What 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 I found is that you only really having the trouble right at the beginning because your system's not all the same temperature. Right. So we we have to run quite a bit of beer through the line through the machine to cool everything all the way down. Before it will start to behave itself, right. so we we do lose a chunk of beer at the beginning, mm. but once you've done that, it settles pretty quickly. And running it continuously without having any stop, any stopping, is the means you get far more consistent fills. The second, second you stop or there's, a, there's a, a delay somewhere in the process, where the cans aren't repeatedly filling and filling and filling, then then your levels end up going out
0: yeah that's interesting you say that because that that's what i found i found that when, when it does settle down and i'm running it it's like i'm just smashing them out but if yeah if I if i stop yeah. for whatever reason then it's like oh bloody hell it's foaming again yeah, yeah. Exactly. bloody cannon anyway great so um i guess last question then finally if you could impart one piece of key wisdom and something that you've learned onto another
1: aspiring
0: brewer or brewery listen to this what would it be uh,
1: that's a tough question i would say don't believe everything that you're told or you read particularly on the internet hmm. um, it, it, a, a lot of stuff out there in beer and brewing is just not quite right so um if you if you want to to try something or you you've got an idea or you're curious about something then just try it yep yeah uh, that's played around with lots of different variables and done stuff that I was originally told was, was wrong or you shouldn't do it like that. And I do some of those things all the time now. <laughs> and people like the beer. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's it. Just, uh, I guess, be, 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 be curious.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show, Adam. It's, it's been great to pick your brains today. Um, how can people find out more about the brewery and where can they get hold of your beers from?
1: Um, uh, there's, we put some stuff out in social media, there's obviously the, the blogs that you've mentioned are on the, the website, people can read them if they're, if they're interested. Uh, we've got our own web shop, but the, the beer is everywhere. It's all over the UK now. Um, one easy, one of the easier ways I find to, to locate a beer is if you use the untapped, uh, Find, find the beer, I don't know what it's called now, but you can go on to whatever beer it is you're looking for and then find it near me and it'll say where it is in a 50 mile radius.
0: Amazing, the wonders of modern technology. Brilliant, well, well yeah. thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at hotforwardbeers. Beers and for another week. Cheers!